big week for the market as the Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates even higher. Plus, one financial expert says there's a way to retire in your 30s, but you don't have to get a side hustle or start your own business to do it. He says you just need to follow 13 stupid, simple rules. We check out those headlines and more in today's Mach 1 Market Moment. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, where we provide financial information on topics such as investing, insurance, financial planning, and everything related to your money. A quick reminder that the hosts of the show are employees of Mach 1 Financial Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing said in the show should be taken as investment advice. Employees and clients of Mach 1 Financial Group may maintain positions in the securities or strategies discussed. We upload a brand new podcast every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are Mach 1 Financial Group on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment, episode 112. Today, we're looking at what is making headlines. I'm Lee Mackey, and I'm joined today by Matt Walters and Eli Freeman. A lot of the news outlets this week are focusing their attention on the Federal Reserve. Traders will likely proceed with caution ahead of the Federal Reserve's decision on interest rates on Wednesday. The Fed is widely expected to jack up rates by a hearty 75 basis points in a bit of stomp out inflation. This meeting and a slew of other economic reports makes it a very important week for the markets. Let's start today's episode by talking about the Fed rate hike. So I think we can all agree that another rate hike is expected this week. It comes after inflation hit another 40-year high in June at 9.1%. Reuters has been polling a group of 102, 102 economists who now feel the likelihood of a recession is at 40%. All right, I'll throw this out there to both of you guys. I think it's all but certain our Fed rate hike is imminent, um, probably be announced on Wednesday. You know, there's some debate about whether it's going to be 50, 75, or 100 basis points. I, I fall into the camp where it's, I think it's going to be three quarters of a percentage point or 75 basis points. Eli, what are you, what are you thinking? Well, it's, it's almost inevitable that the rate hike's going to happen on Wednesday. And, and we'll, we'll know that as soon as they release the, the statement from the FOMC. But I'm under the same assumption as you, Lee. Most of what I've been reading, most of what makes sense is that a 75 basis point rate hike is in store for the Federal Reserve, and and hopefully that doesn't come as a shock to the market either. So hopefully the market has already priced in the 75 rate high, 75 basis point rate hike, and we wouldn't see a, a lot of volatility just from the announcement that comes from the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I think that I think 75 is um, kind of cooked into the markets. Um, I think that a couple weeks ago there was some discussion about maybe even going all the way up to 100. Um, but some of the, the reports and some of the numbers that have come in since have probably tempered that back to where I think everybody's kind of in the 75 basis point camp. Well, and the, I mean, you look at the street rate, like rates have traded out ahead of what the Fed's done, right? And so there's, there's also some thought to does the Fed even have to be as aggressive as they, they maybe thought they were going to originally need to be because the market's gotten out ahead of it from a, not like the stock market in terms of equity pricing, but rates. Right. Rates have gone up quicker and higher than the Fed has increased rates. And so um, can the Fed kind of let the market maybe try to take care of some of that and maybe doesn't have to get as aggressive on increasing? I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see because they've made some of these initial big rate increases 
and I think they are getting now to a point where they can start about start thinking about okay, do we do we bite off a lot and make one big push and kind of get there, or can we start going the other way and maybe not have to you know increase it quick as quick of a pace? Yeah, and and I kind of agree. I I I, I do think that a big one's in store for for this one, but I think the one that would come in September um, might be one where they can kind of let let the markets dictate it. But you know, everybody is so fickle. If they were to come in lower than expected, you know, the markets may take it as, well, the Fed's not committed to right. combating inflation. I mean, if they come in too high, there's the fear that it might throw the, you know, the economy into a recession. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of a crapshoot, if you will. Um, but I do think that we're at 75 for, for this time. Do you, guys, do you guys ever think that there's a world where in September the Federal Reserve won't raise the rates? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a, I think there's a possibility. I think that a lot of data would have to change. I mean, you'd have to see a, a you'd have to see inflation numbers really begin to, to come off. Um, but I would say right now, do those exist? I would say no. Mm -hmm. But I mean, is there a world in which we could see them pause in September just to see, you know, let their, you know, the, all the other rate hikes throughout the year kind of start to catch up? Sure, but I don't think it's likely I mean, at this you, point. You start to see, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you start to see, like, everybody, the word recession, like, freaks everybody out, right? Because most of the time recession comes to meaning, like, people are getting laid off and, like, some of the extremes that really impact people's everyday life. You could have inflation stay high and continue to increase and people start to lose jobs, right? And the Fed has their dual mandate where they they look and say okay we can't keep doing what we're doing solely focused on inflation because now the labor market is going the other direction right i'm not saying that's going to happen there's i think current currently 11 million job openings now some of those i think are kind of fluff jobs of like hey we'll post a job see what's out there maybe not in desperate need of hiring but you could have those 11 million job openings evaporate without anyone getting laid off so i think we have some room to give but that's kind of to answer your question the environment where they could quickly transition if they saw, you know, if the whole, the big R word, right, the capital R word came into play and the labor market changed in a big way and they felt like they had to be, mm -hmm. go the other way. And I, I, we've mentioned it on several episodes previous to this one, but what Matt is saying on the dual mandate for the, for the Federal Reserve is that they want to keep unemployment low and they want to keep inflation at a targeted goal of 2%. And right now, the, the reason that they're doing the interest rate hikes is because of the targeted goal of inflation being much higher than that 2%. Why is 2%, just quick, quick why is 2% the, like, tar I mean, you look at, like, the, we show clients all the time, like, the 120-year <laughs> average is, like, three, three and a half, right? So it's like, why is our target to, and this is a genuine question, mm -hmm. I just, I wonder where that number comes from. It's like, hey, know. let's set a target lower than the historical it's like average. half of the hundred year average. Yeah. Right. I mean, that would, I don't know. I just remember what the textbooks had told and what it was, was the federal reserve just studied what is a healthy rate for a government to sustain over a long period of time. And 2% was the number that they came up with. I don't know if it's correct by any means, but yeah. that was. All right, let's move on to the next topic today. Um, Elon Musk, some new information in the Elon Musk Twitter deal. Twitter announced in its earnings report on Friday that it's already incurred $33 million in costs related to its deal with Musk. Twitter is in a legal battle with Musk after he initially offered to buy Twitter, but is now trying to pull out of the deal after accusing Twitter of giving him bad numbers regarding fake accounts on the platform. 
To add another hitch to this whole saga, Musk took to Twitter on Sunday to dispute a report from the Wall Street Journal that he had had a short affair with the wife of his friend and Google co-founder, Sergey Brin. The report says that Brin had told his advisors to sell all of their personal investments in Tesla. Musk said in a tweet on Sunday that the report is untrue and that he and Brin are still friends. So to catch our listeners up, you know, several months ago, Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter um, for, I can't remember the amount, 45, $44 billion, $44 billion which at that time was a, a large increase from where it was currently valued. Um, since then, um, he has tried to back out of the deal primarily with his objection being that they have not given him good numbers with regard to bots or fake accounts. Um, I think Twitter is telling him that about 5% of all Twitter accounts are fake. He is disputing that, saying that it is a lot lot more than that, um, even though he doesn't have proof or can't verify that. And so he's pulled out of the deal. Twitter has taken him to court. There is a court date set for September. Um, you know, Twitter is going to try to force him to buy the company. He is trying to renege, um, and that's where the saga stands now. I, like, I think it's funny how they, you know, it says Twitter is like reporting their current costs in this whole. Dish. I wonder how much, you know, because the stock price really took off when this deal was originally announced, right? You saw a big spike in the Twitter price. <clears throat> I wonder how much money insiders made selling at that point, and now they're, like, coming back, and they're like, hey, this has cost us $33 million <laughs> thus far. But I, it's just funny. It's like, how do you take someone to court and say, no, you have to buy my company? Well, <clears throat> that, that's just it. You know, here's my take on this whole Musk Twitter saga. Number one, there's, there's a camp that thinks that Musk wants to buy it, but he's wanting to get the price down right. much closer to where it is today. I'm in the camp that I don't think he – I think he's having genuine second thoughts. I think from what I've heard from legal analysts and, and, and people up in Connecticut is that – or in Delaware, I think, is where the court case is going to be, be held. I think that the court may rule for Twitter because I, I, I think if you look at precedents, the facts, you know, I think they kind of are in Twitter's favor, but that's just it. I don't think there's a legal recourse – to make him buy the company. I think the ultimate result will be they're going to rule in Twitter's favor. There's going to be some settlement of, you know, certain billions of dollars, and they're each going to go their separate way. How that affects Twitter's stock price, who knows, but it is going to be interesting as this thing plays out over the next couple, three months. It'll also be interesting even, say the court case can somehow force him to buy Twitter, well, the value of the company has changed. It, at what price point can the court say, yes, if we have to make you purchase Twitter at this price? It, maybe it's on the what they agreed, the $45 billion. But, I mean, that's that's a difficult thing for a court to rule, for one individual to say you you have to buy a company. A third, a third case for what potentially happened, which I actually think it's kind of an interesting take, but I think it kind of makes sense, is he never wanted to buy it. <laughs> and he needed a reason to liquidate a large portion of Tesla. And, and that created a liquidating opportunity without it being like a red flag. Um, I heard that the other day t from, uh, listened to, to another podcast. 
I was like, that's actually an interesting take on almost like a liquidation cover-up, you know, of his, some of his Tesla stock. So, well, who, with, who knows? I, I think we all know, you know, with Elon Musk, stay tuned, you know, tomorrow could be another turn, love turn of events. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely keeps it's entertaining. the podcasters uh, busy this, mm, with, yeah. with all this going on. All right. Our next topic, crypto. Cryptocurrency continues to struggle this year. Bitcoin, as of this recording, is trading above 21000 It was right near the $48,000 mark at the end of March. Last week, Blockchain announced it's laying off 25% of its staff, and that follows a laundry list of crypto companies that have announced layoffs and or cuts over the last few months. Does anybody want to elaborate on that? Matt, what's your take yeah, on I, th I think the crypto space, I mean, it's something I've kind of been intrigued with over the last several years. It's not ever, not something I've ever really believed in. Definitely haven't put any of my own personal money into it, but um, it has been interesting to just kind of keep track of the crypto markets. And now, you know, you've definitely seen a little bit of an implosion here. I mean, a lot of money managers and funds and different companies that were managing money in the crypto space for different people have literally like filed bankruptcy and imploded here mm -hmm. recently. And you some of the things that were starting to be on that were being done have started to be uncovered. Like, you know, this crypto firm was loaning money to this crypto firm with no collateral. And then the money that, you know, this firm was borrowing money and it was just like, everyone was, it was so commingled that like when one domino fell, like there were others that inevitably had to fall. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I still think it's just, if you ever, if you have money in crypto, you've learned this, or if you're thinking about putting money, it's, obviously a highly speculative investment that you kind of have to go into knowing like, Hey, there's money that I have to be willing to lose. Um, th that's not me saying, I think it's all going to zero and we'll stay at zero, but I think that's the view you still have to have with it. Um, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, it is an unregulated yeah. investment. That's mm -hmm. why most investment firms cannot trade in, in the security. Mm -hmm. Another, another thing to be thoughtful of just as an individual, if you're investing in crypto, on what platform are you investing? You you want to make sure that whatever platform you use for your investments is a is a solid, good standing platform. If you can purchase crypto straight through the blockchain, that's even better than going through something like a Coinbase, meaning that that company has the right to your. I, I don't know how that works specifically from their end because again, it's an but unregulated. Yeah, they can lock up like liquidations and withdrawals. Mm -hmm. They've done a lot mm -hmm. several different platforms. So it's just if you're going to do it do your research before try try your hardest to find a place that your money's actually safe where it's invested or as as safe as can be another topic that we'd like to touch on real quickly is mortgage demand last week i think it was reported that the demand for mortgages fell to an almost 20 22, 22 year low mm -hmm. eli any thoughts on that yeah so if you do quick math on that that's back to 2000 that that the mortgages are at the demand level of that is quick math by the way. <laughs> thanks man <laughs> so it, it, to me that's a positive sign i know that that's that's not a, a statistic that you read and you think that's a good thing but from our side we we want to make sure that inflation is being tamed well if people are buying houses they're buying furniture they're buying uh, they're buying paint they're buying supplies they're having to do and put money into the economy that can cause inflation and as the Federal Reserve is trying to tame inflation, well, if mortgage demand is slowing down, that's a positive sign from, from my side of the table. Yeah, I mean, if the, well, if, yeah, if the Fed was increasing rates and nothing was coming down at all, 
then you'd start to get a little concerned with, okay, how far is the Fed going to have to go before we start to see? So, I, yeah, I agree with you. And just seeing certain things starting to come down is, I think, indication that what the Fed is doing is having certain effects, what those long-term implications are. You know, who knows? But um, I think a good sign from that perspective. And, and I think that the, the reason for that slowdown is, is twofold. It's increase in home prices. You know, the homes are more expensive. And then two, mortgage rates have almost doubled over the last 12 months. So it, it is more expensive yeah, to, to buy a house. Most first-time home buyers are getting priced out at this price point and rates. Well, we saw it a lot where, I mean, you had a labor market, labor environment where everybody all of a sudden, you, the, and this is good, I'm not saying this is a negative, but the, the employee was in the driver's seat, right? It's like, hey, I want this salary. I want to work from this place. I want, And then, and, you know, they got it. Right. Well, if the labor market starts tightening up a little bit, which I think it has, not in like a hey, we're seeing mass mass layoffs across the board because we haven't yet, but it is tighter than it was six, 12 months ago. Um, you know, that starts to lean back in the employer's favor. And so, like, you're not going to have people saying, hey, I want to keep my job in San Francisco, but I'm going to live on the East Coast. You know, that that may not be happening as much. So there's, I think, a lot of factors that go into play here of why maybe there aren't as many people moving or buying homes. All right, to wrap up this podcast, um, if you recall at the beginning of our podcast, I referenced an article called 13 Stupid Simple Tips. How would you like to retire by age 35? One man claims that he did just that without taking on a side hustle or a side job. Steve Adcock, who is, uh, has a financial podcast, wrote an article for CNBC explaining the stupid, simple money rules that he and his wife used to accumulate $1 million after a 14-year career. So I have this article put up here, pulled up here in front of me, and I'm just going to throw out some of the, the tips that he, he shares with, with his audience. The first one is he, he ignored the follow your passion advice. Basically, don't always follow your passion, follow what you're good at doing. Um, second one was he learned from millionaires. He listened to successful people and adapted and adopted some of what they put into practice. He cut losers from his life. He surrounded himself with good people. He surrounded himself with people that built him up, that were positive influences. He exploited exploited his nine to five. And what he means by that is he took full advantage of his employer's 401k plan. We call it free money. If your employer offers a match, take advantage of it. He did that. He switched companies five times in 14 years. Now, he's not recommending that people hop from job to job. What he is saying is, if you can wait at least a year, but then typically when you find a new job, you're getting a promotion, you're getting a pay raise, and he took advantage of that. The next thing is he automated everything. He put his bills on automatic payment. He put savings on automatic payment, and that was good advice, he said. He ignored the haters. He, he, he took the people out of his life that said he couldn't do something. Um, he ignored the Joneses. He didn't compare himself to other people that he was around. Okay, that's a temptation for all of us is we want to live like so-and-so or we see somebody with a bigger house, a nicer car. Um, he prioritized open communication. And in this manner, he's talking about how he, he opened communication with his wife. He and his wife talked about all financial decisions that came up in their family. He prioritized his health. He avoided credit card debt, something that we have talked about many times on this podcast. He did not incur 
any interest charges. He paid every credit card on time. He always said yes, and I thought this was interesting. His employer would come to him, ask him if he could do something, something that maybe that was out of his comfort zone. He always said yes because he used it as a learning opportunity. His last tip was he stopped going to the bar. What he basically said was he stopped spending money on things that weren't necessarily all that important. He would go to the bar with friends before he knew it. Every week, every month, he had a nice little bar tab. He cut that back and was able to save that money. So those are 13 quick and easy tips that this guy used. Some of them may be applicable to you. Some may be not. But it is what his point is saying that if we do a lot of little things, our money can add up. Our investment savings can add up. Not saying that everybody's going to retire by the time they're 35 years old. In this case, he did. But again, practical, practical tips that can help our listeners. Guys, anything that we'd like to, to share in closing? I think the main thing I hear from that is just stay focused. Get a plan and, and stick to it and stay focused towards it. Well, thank you guys. I've enjoyed this conversation. As we do with all of our podcasts, we like to end it with a thought of the day. Our thought of the day comes from Charles Mingus. Making the simple complicated is commonplace. Making the complicated simple awesomely simple that's creativity thank you for joining us on this week's podcast we look forward to you guys joining us for next week's mach 1 market moment Mach 1 Financial Group LLC, Mach 1, is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in Bentonville, Arkansas. Mach 1 may only transact business in those states in which it maintains a notice filing or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The information presented is the sole opinion of the speaker and is not meant to be investment advice. Mach 1 does not provide tax or legal advice. You should speak to your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. For full disclosures, please visit mach1financial.com disclosures.